0: Salad Days Welcome to the Salad Days podcast which features interviews with your favourite artists talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days and hang out for a bit Our conversation this week features... Special guests, Carla and Lynette Gillis from the band's Plumtree, Overnight, and more. Okay, so since this is the first Saturday's podcast, I thought I'd give a bit of background on myself. Started playing music for real in the 90s in a band called The Inbreds, in addition to a bunch of different things that I've done over the years, including starting junior.com, perhaps Canada's first and only independent digital music store, which still exists today. Running a couple music festivals in Prince Edward County called County Pop and Sandbanks Music Festival, and uh, most recently uh, doing a thing called Lemonade Dave, which you'll hear more about. But I love podcasts, and I thought that the opportunity to capture some of the stories that uh, I've been part of over the years, um, being involved in music, just seemed like a really great way to do that. And uh, there's a lot of people that I'd love to talk to and will be talking to, and this is the way to do it. So, of course, every episode features a early, what I call an embryonic track from uh, the artist we're talking to, and it provides a bit of focus for the journey back to where it all started for them musically, and what we call here on the show, their salad days.
1: Salad days, salad days. Yeah, sounds good.
0: So let's just quickly talk a bit about the, I guess, kind of our, our shared history and some of the things that we've done over the mm-hmm. years, of course. Um, do you remember the very first time that we met?
1: Hmm. Uh, I'm, my first memory of, I, this wasn't a meeting, but this was seeing you and Mike on the wedge, I think, and you were wearing a plum tree shirt.
2: That's what I thought of, too. (laughs) And we were
1: so over the moon. Mm -hmm. Like, we were thrilled Mm -hmm. uh, and so excited to get that national support. Mm -hmm. Um, That's sort of, you know, when I think of the inbreds and I think of you, uh, that's the first memory that comes to mind.
0: The funny part is, I don't even remember things like that. And I've mm. I've known over the years when I talk with uh, Mike, he has a way better memory of a lot of different details. And it's part of the reason I'm I'm wanting to do this podcast is it's a great chance to kind of. Uh, you know just i guess revisit all these kind of things that we've we've all done and mm-hmm. uh and get a that, well i'm i'm glad i'm glad that's the case that's great i mean we we had so much support from much and i'm definitely remember being conscious of doing that kind of thing like mm. uh, for one one appearance I, I i remember i brought a citr shirt from uh, vancouver nice. yeah
1: nice and you
0: know and i remember a lot of people mentioned that but in some ways it's like yeah i, I still love my uh Rock shirts. What can I say?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it it really can make a difference. Like you know, you really raised awareness of our band by doing that.
0: Like I just remember getting the cassette. I believe it was my memory is that we were going out to do um um Halifax Pop Explosion, being in our van or car, and mm-hmm. and whether it was I don't know whether it was you or maybe it was Walter even somehow passing a cassette, like literally through the window of the car. We were like, oh, we really? looked the cover. We were like, yeah. And we just, you know, we would listen to it on the road. And that was probably driving from Halifax back to Ontario. Flutterboard? You know, yes. Yeah. Because there would have been no, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, yeah. we didn't even have access to, you know, CKDU, which is, you know, of course, when, um, when I ended up living there, that was like my favorite station, of course, mm-hmm. to listen to. And you would get access to it. But otherwise, it had, you had to um, lean on a cassette.
2: Yeah, be handed Be one. handed one through a window. Yeah. Yes, but be handed. You guys, uh, we looked up to the inbreds, and we were fans of the inbreds. So I think it was also, I also thought of you wearing the Plumtree shirt, and we were excited because we liked the band. We liked your band. And it was before we knew you personally or went on tours or played shows. Yeah. So it was especially meaningful
0: because it was inbreds. We were fans. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome! No,
0: that that's really great. I mean, when I think of all the things, whether it was you know you know we toured together, we did a seven inch single together, you know, and then and then you guys ending up in Toronto and seeing you in Toronto and then seeing you in Prince Edward County and mm-hmm. all these yeah. all these things over the years. Uh, tell me where you're you're joining from us, like where are you actually today, and then um, and talk a bit, and then just tell me where you grew up.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're sitting in um, a little room in my my house in Waverly. Uh, this is Carla speaking. Um, yeah, in Waverley, Nova Scotia, which is, I'd say, 15 minutes away from Lynette, who lives in Dartmouth, um, both of which are very close to Halifax. Uh, and we grew up in the suburbs of Halifax. Um, our suburb was called Fairview, which is a sort of west end part of the city. Yep. We okay, felt well very far from downtown, Far flung, we could see the lights of downtown from the top of our street, but it felt very far away.
0: <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. Okay, so so one of the things uh, you know I want to do here is I'd li- like to say that the goal of this podcast is to really go back and kind of almost feel what it was like to be in your home on a Friday night and actually smell what was on the stove. So tell mm-hmm. us what was on the stove that Friday mm-hmm. night and why do you remember it so well?
1: Oh mm-hmm. gosh, so our mother was always baking and. Um, She was, what's coming to mind is like slowly stirring a pot of fudge. Yes, that's what I
2: thought of too. Really? Fudge. Yeah, like I can just see her
1: standing there like slowly um, stirring probably chocolate, chocolate fudge. Um, So a really great smell.
2: Great smell, sweet smell. She's made probably a couple dozen batches, or not batches, a couple dozen biscuits. Mm Mm-hmm um
1: before that
2: before that Rolls, if not a couple of pies
1: maybe some pies
2: maybe some pies so you can get the idea that it was a very um sweet tooth
0: household <laughs> that is exactly the same in my house my, with it, my mother was uh, a big very big baker and there was a lot of uh, like an endless list of whether it's cakes or pies or, yeah, uh,
1: uh-huh.
0: all those things. But okay, so we've covered dessert. Let's talk about what what kind of what kind of cooking would there be? What, what would a Friday night meal be in your house?
1: It was typically kind of meat and potatoes, maybe maybe a, a always mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, mashed potatoes. I wouldn't yeah. say any other vegetables necessarily. Not really. And then maybe like stew uh-huh. or like a pork chop. Yeah. Uh,
2: Sloppy Joe's would be a fun yeah, thing. Yeah, sometimes
1: we had those witches. Yeah,
2: manwiches. Manwich, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Though usually she was like a real, like, ma- making everything from scratch kind of person. We didn't have a lot of uh, processed foods. No. Um, yeah, well, there was there no, no,
0: no takeout for you growing up?
1: Very, very little. Actually, on fr- Fridays were were grocery day at our house. Um, yeah. And mom would tend to get groceries like sometime in the morning while we were at school and should time it so she'd be back at lunch to meet us and we'd all carry the bags of groceries in to help her and then help her put everything away. And that would be the only day she'd usually pick up maybe some dairy queen or for us or McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. And she always got a star magazine. Yeah, which was nice. Um,
0: <laughs> Read the tabloids.
1: It was just the trash day, basically, uh, and in, very fun.
0: I know uh, very similar in my house. Saturday morning was the shopping day, and when um, um, when so I have big family, seven kids, and so when wow. my mother would come back, it, it would all these. And it was in the brown you know, the brown bags, which was kind of, it's funny, we kind of come back to the brown bags, I think, if you actually get bags at a store these days, Mm. and you come in, and she would stack them all on the table, and of whoever the seven kids were around would basically swarm the table, and go for, and again, similar, like, timing just before lunch, uh, very similar, so, like, whatever was the the prime uh, good stuff in there, whether that was some kind of maybe a sugary cereal, or ice cream sandwich, or something Mm -hmm. else, you could just count that it would get swarmed. And all the good stuff would kind of be gone by, you know, Sunday morning, <laughs> whatever it was. But we would, you know, that was, that was a, big, uh, a big part of a, of, a, of a Saturday morning in our house. And you're right, that when yeah. shopping days is, is a big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mention, so there were four four girls in our family. Um, that
0: was going to be my next question. Yes.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was yep. a
2: busy household. It
1: was a busy household. Um, always tons and tons of company. Uh, our parents were Cape Bretoners. Yeah. And it just, it there was always someone staying or visiting from Cape Breton.
2: And then we had friends in all the time. And then we had all kinds like... of
1: friends in all the time or bands. Yeah. Were, you know, when we started playing bands, they all loved that mom baked so much. Cookies were. A big hit with Plumtree, yeah. <laughs> the Plumtree members,
0: yeah. It was the same, same at my house. We used to, uh, my mother. One of her uh, signatures was donuts, homemade donuts, and that oh, was my gosh. When, when that would come out. Everybody would, you know, get get everybody out of the yeah. woodwork in the neighborhood. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, okay, so but before before you were doing music, what kind of things? Uh, what kind of activities? You know, or did you do sports? Did you do, um, you know,
1: mm-hmm. so pre music?
0: What were you doing? Drawing.
1: Yeah, Lynette draw- was drawing. always drawing.
2: Writing stories, making up stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both wrote stories. Lynette was, uh, for a, a while, she was writing these amazing stories called Last Line Stories. Right. Um, we had our older sister's typewriter. Uh, she, our older sister Cheryl, was like in secretarial school, and she had wow. really beautiful nails, and... uh she always took care of her nails really well. Anyway, I think of this one. I think of her typewriter. We would borrow her typewriter and Lynette would um, type out these last line stories. And it was just a very boring story all the way through. But then something surprising would happen in the very last line. I don't know. She, it seemed like she mostly wrote them for me. I, like I would die laughing. They were so funny. Um, that's awesome. We did stuff like that. We made a lot of skits. We were often like um in our bedroom with a little uh tape recorder. Our dad always had tape decks around. He used to record Cape Breton square dances, like the live music, yeah, yeah. so we always had these like um boom boxes and mm-hmm. um have so many blank cassette tapes. We were always going into like mom's drawer in her bedroom for more blank tapes we do lots of skits with like um kind of imitate people in our family <laughs> yeah
2: like dress up
1: we dress you up know, sometimes get a,
2: uh, dad uh, had a toupee in the closet that we oh, found that's awesome yeah and uh, it was
1: on a st- pin to a styrofoam head at the top of his closet
2: yeah like like you know shamefully in the back of the closet, but we got our hands on it and uh, would use it for every skit.
1: Every basically. skit. Like one of us would be a man <laughs> in the skit.
2: We'd always be a man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, and it was, and it just kind of expanded <laughs> as our worlds expanded a bit, you know, like I know I'm getting ahead of things a bit, but when we sort of entered the scene and we're meeting more people, they just became like more fodder for, uh, Characters in these skits. Um,
0: In a a time before TikTok. eh? You know what I mean? Mm
1: Yes, long before. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Thankfully. We did lip syncing a lot in the basement with like Mm -hmm. um, dancing. We'd do kind of our version of just a sort of karaoke. Um, By this point, we were also borrowing our older sister's video camera. Um, So we would make, we would shoot videos of us doing. Yeah, singing along to like Rita McNeil. Sometimes we would just put on the radio and we'd just have to make it work. No matter, we wouldn't know what song was coming up and would have to do karaoke to it. So, yeah. a lot oh, of yeah.
2: entertaining ourselves, a lot of entertaining each other and ourselves. Yes, very Maybe bored. Just the two of us or one friend or one other friend. Um, or else it would be like watching hours upon hours of much music, music like videos. videos.
0: Yeah, that was the same here.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, no sports uh, we didn't really do much in the way of sports
0: (laughs) what what um yeah i i definitely was not a a sports person myself but um keeping that theme of of you know what's going on on that friday night describe what kind of posters and things would you have on your wall (laughs) in your room like i i i I oddly had sort of nothing on my wall i don't know Uh, why that was but i had sort of not like almost blank walls most of the time
1: Oh yeah, there was like no bit of white left on our walls. They were just covered in posters. Um, yeah, so we were always buying Hit Parader, Metal Edge, Circus. What were some of the other? Yeah, Metal, metal Edge. They was were a all favorite. like metal magazines, and would just tear out every poster. And we we got kind of intricate about our our walls. We like did fancy shapes and designs of poster uh, posters in like the shapes of a cross and uh, long-haired I,
0: I men, basically long-haired. long-haired men. Yeah. Like I'm familiar oh, yeah. with all men. of those magazines. And of course, cause I grew up in Oshawa and Oshawa is a very um, I'd say it was always a metal friendly town. And, uh, and across the road from our house was this place called the Red Barn, And they used to do, uh bingo and dances and then but when the metal era came around they would have metal night hmm. and i can remember uh I, I i don't know if i was old enough to go to them or not but i had this this memory of of going so imagine about a 600 people you know size almost like a barn a metal barn and they would have metal night and they would just play all those bands and that's one of the things i think we have in common is is the history of of like a lot of this metal, even though we never sort of played metal. Uh, but mm-hmm. you'd walk into that room and it was, as you said, long hair men <laughs> worshiping at the speakers is what I always remember. They would almost, and some of the guys would try to stick their head in like literally <laughs> into the speaker. Yeah. You, know? you had and to get uh, as
1: close to it as you could.
0: Do you think, do you think yeah. that some of the first, you know, were you drawn to metal as the first type of music that you were, you know, or did you have like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, influence of your older, um, siblings? You know what I mean? Did they did they mm. really impact? And, and what was that music before metal?
2: Metal was it's rock into metal, I would mm-hmm. say, like, was the first love. Our oldest sister, Cheryl, she's 10 years older than me, eight years older than Carla, and uh, she, although okay, she introduced us to, like, Fleetwood Mac, uh, maybe a bit of... What?
1: Genesis.
2: Genesis, Phil Collins, Def Leppard. So it started kind of, like, I guess more hard rock, kind of mm-hmm. soft rock, Def Leppard, and then Darlene, our sister Darlene, um, was getting into heavier Metallica, Slayer,
1: Iron Maiden, Iron
2: Maiden, uh, maybe some Judas Priest. I remember some Led Zeppelin, and that all trickled down. And but Carl and I fell very hard for the uh, that rock and kind of early metal, like glam. Glam. Yeah, glam metal. Glam. Like eighties LA it was hard rock.
1: Everything that was huge in like um like eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, ninety one. Those were the years that we like became obsessed with music and and the posters and the look. And this I, this idea of the lifestyle, you know, which <laughs> it
2: was not clearly not uh, our life. <laughs> the
1: lifestyle, but it, just this idea of like you, you have to live it, man. Like it's it really became an identity. And, well, it was um, real, and,
0: and and videos were so connected, particularly with metal, mm-hmm, in that way that um, because sure. you had this direct access to the to the imagery. Where I feel like I, yes. for my history, it was just enough. When you mention all those magazines, sometimes the way you would learn about really before videos was really a thing was you would have to go to something like a Hip parader or mm-hmm. cream or mojo or something like that to actually not just read about the bands, but get the visuals and then, mm-hmm. you know, and so much of heavy metal too. my memory of it was they would a lot of times do these default live rock and videos to try to really sell how big the band was, even if mm-hmm. they weren't that big, you know, and then it, it just was mm-hmm. self-fulfilling and you just, yeah. it made them even more bigger in your mind. Oh you know?
1: yeah. Oh yeah. It was like, everyone was, everything was so epic and it kind of blew our ideas open about the future and like wanting to live a bigger life than we were living Mm -hmm. in the suburbs and where we were just kind of trying to make our own entertainment. It sort of gave us lots. It gave us lots of big dreams.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That
1: completely shaped shaped our lives
0: were were your would you say even at the earliest age were your parents supportive of these dreams as they were coming coming to coming to be and it's still in the early days were they supportive of anything music Mm -hmm. that you were doing musically when you were young
1: yeah big time like our parents love music and um but they love celtic music and cape breton cape breton specifically uh old scottish tunes and there was always a lot of music at our house you know, they went to dances, square dances all the time, and they would always come home with all kinds of musicians, and the square dance would just continue in our basement. Yeah. So there was always, like, a piano. Um, our dad played fiddle um and, and guitar. There was just a lot of live music in our mm-hmm. house. I remember being a kid trying to go to sleep, and I had to wake up early for school the next day just being like, when are they going to be quiet? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so when Lynette and I started to show an interest in playing instruments, dad, especially, it was like, so gung ho. Um, my first uh, Lynette, Lynette's first instrument was piano. And then she did that for a little while. And then I took over her lessons for some reason. I wasn't She's, that interested. She wasn't that interested. Right, so she right. stopped and I kept going with piano and then um, when I started junior high, they offered violin classes for free at my school. I made the mistake of mentioning it to my dad. And he was like, you must do this. <laughs> you have to. And so I, I learned the fiddle for about a year or two. But I really wanted to play guitar. And Lynette really wanted to play drums. We would have been 11 mm-hmm. and 13 At that point and um i think it was like maybe christmas 1990 Mm -hmm. uh they got us when i got a sears drum kit and i got a yamaha special with like a pv rage and a and a patch cord
0: (laughs) it's just invaluable to have um somebody to play with that is always around and if that's your sibling that's Mm -hmm. The best there was a point where um, my 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 first kit was really from one of my brother's friends that he kind of left in the house, so I was starting to play and i, I started on I started wanting to do guitar and then kind of went on to drums, but at one point, my uh, brother learned bass enough that when I would come home from school and if he was around. We it was like instant instant jam, and you mm-hmm. cannot beat that direct. You know, so I the, I've always Absolutely. thought of that with you guys that the fact that you've had all of this, um, you were able to start so early, and on there, there's no substitute for, of course, for, for essentially for, uh, you know, I guess jamming and real time interaction with other musicians, and to to get that yeah. from your sibling is the
1: best. Yeah, we just we just had a built in band right yeah. right away, and mm-hmm. you know, every day after school we would just go downstairs and and practice. And we'd be like, you know, practicing individually, like I'd be practicing modes. I was like determined to become sort of a shredder. Um, yeah. And Lynette was, you know, learning paradiddles. And um, we were both pretty like we liked glam, which was fairly straightforward, kind of pop, really. Um, but we were also getting super into more technical metal and uh, progressive metal and, um, some death metal at that point where, uh, we were, we got really into like switching time signatures every eight bars, That's <laughs> or, awesome. um, or yeah, trying to figure out interesting co- chords and, uh, um, what, what
0: did, what did your friends think of this immersion into music and metal and, and everything related? Where, mm. where did they sit with this?
1: They kind of came along with us, we came along, yeah. We sort of turned all of our friends yeah. into obsessive music fans.
2: It's a rare time in my life where I felt like a real leader. I remember it was <laughs> like all my friends started buying all the merchandise and the albums, and I was friends with some like kind of popular girls. I would say that, but it's like I didn't really think of myself that way, but they were, and they all got into this stuff for like a year or maybe two at most, but then they got more interested in boys and I stayed on the music track and they gave me all their stuff and I was the best. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll take, sure. I'll have your old Sebastian Bach t-shirt. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Old Sebastian.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm thinking of some of my friends, they, uh, you know, because Lynette and I were like, basically we're starting a band they we said we needed another guitarist and we needed a bassist and a couple of my close friends uh, Angela and Lisa Angela McDonald and Lisa Verge um both decided Angela picked up the bass and Lisa picked up guitar and they joined our band
0: I think we're getting a uh, good lead in to playing your um your early track but before we do let me ask one more question which is because for me it was such a very formative um thing that brought i think really brought me into not just loving music but wanting to play live and the question mm-hmm. is when was the first time you saw real live music and mm. my, my story is that uh at my school uh Sunset Heights in Oshawa they had a band come in that was like an educational rock band and yeah.
1: uh they uh, <laughs> would
0: set up they set up in our gym i this must have been in grade 7 or 8 and they had, I, my memory is they had lights. I think they maybe even had a smoke machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had like volume. And they played these original songs that were educational. I think it was almost, there was an old episode of Happy Days, I think, where, where Potsy does a thing like this. But it was almost like that. Like they sang songs about, I want to say it was about heart health or good eating. <laughs> oh, and, oh my gosh. But all I, what I took from it was, was just watching this interaction on stage in front of me. And I was like, it's something, it's like something went off. Uh, Cause I was already sort of uh, an embryonic appreciation for music in general, but there was something about that live when I saw it, it just, maybe it was like hearing the kick drum and that just mm. blew my mind. So do you, what's your story?
1: I, just, I think our, you, I can recall. Yeah. yeah. Can I go for
2: it. I, th- it was a small local show and our sister Darlene took Carl and I, so Darlene's, uh, just a few years older. Not. She seemed way older, but she's not really. That she's many like years older. Three years older than me. Yeah, five years older than what? Well, four or five years older than me. And she took us to a local show, and it was a metal show. And I feel like Sacrifice were on the bill.
1: Is uh, that possible? No. Is that a different no, show? No. It was uh, Earth AD.
2: Earth AD and who else? Um,
1: adrenaline. It was Adrenaline okay? Nocturnal. Okay. I was remembering more of the bands. Nocturnal had all the members in Nocturnal were Darlene's friends, which was like blew our mind. Yeah, and she was actually dating the bassist, so we were like, we almost, we kind of had like, um, we were almost part of the inner circle at that show because of her connection to the band. Um, yeah, it was at the Casino Theater Mm -hmm. on Godagen, and they had metal shows there. Every now and then, they were all ages.
2: Uh, That was mind blowing. Like it was, we went to the show. It was Darlene with her friends. We got to be part of it, and they were being very bad.
1: (laughs) I don't (laughs) remember that. Well, (laughs) they were like,
2: you know, I remember friends doing like drugs, and we were taking the bus with them. Oh yeah, and Darlene, Darlene was like a wild,
1: a wild sister. The other three of us were very obedient and quiet. Darlene was like a hell child. And she yeah. was always getting, like, she dated guys who, you know, went to jail and, like, who we visited in jail. Yeah,
2: like, so, yeah. like she stories. She
1: brought a lot of um, drama into our family. And wow. uh, anyway, going out with her was always a massive adventure and quite dangerous. So that night was full of kind of danger, too. They, she and her friends were all in the mosh pit we had never seen anything like that before we were Lynette and I just kind of quietly sat down in the, the casino was an old movie theater. And so the theater seats were still in it. We just like quietly sat at the back, mesmerized by the bands playing on stage and everything we were seeing for the first time. Uh, And the fact that it was all just kind of local bands and people, we were somewhat acquaintances with, Mm -hmm. um, that was a whole new idea. After spending years with our heads in magazines, everything was happening, you know, in Hollywood. We thought that's, that was the only place where there were music scenes or that you could like, quote unquote, make it. Yeah. Um, so this introduction to a local scene was hugely impactful and I think gave mm-hmm. us our first ideas about playing live ourselves.
2: Yeah, and okay. then it was we were a big thing that happened was Cafe Olay. We live in, we grew up in Halifax where there was a small all ages club called Cafe Olay that became like our second home. Yep. So it yes. was we saw this you know this local show that Carlos talking about, and then kind of quickly, very lucky timing Cafe Olay opened and started having local bands play, and it was like a place to go on the weekend. We would just show up, we wouldn't even know who was necessarily playing, and. Carl and I just like went to. We went there basically every weekend, and just would take in whatever show was happening, uh, all small local shows, eight, all ages.
1: Yeah, and kids our kids our age, who weren't masters of their instruments by any means, uh, really opened up our minds to what was possible. The
0: stage has been set. So let's let's move on to your track, and um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna play it here, and then we'll come back and we're gonna talk a bit about music, the actual playing, writing, recording, and uh, do you want to set up th- your track here before you play it?
1: <laughs> okay, yes. So we uh, we can't fully remember the name of this song. We think we wrote this in probably 1992. Lynette would have been. 13-ish I would have been 15. At that point we were playing with a bassist named Megan Dorward and her, her parents owned the folklore Center um, downtown downtown Halifax and so she had really nice gear and she could play really well. Uh, she had this like Fuchsia Ibanez bass. Um, she loved a flange pedal, so you'll hear that. And the three of us, we called ourselves Pongo Boy. We we right. had a bunch of different names, but Pongo Boy was, I think, what we were going by at at the time of this recording. And uh, yeah, we can't fully remember the name, but we're going to go with incu Dust. Her Megan had a Yiddish grandmother, and she would borrow her dictionary, and we would like go through it trying to find cool song titles. Um, incu Dust. So, yeah, it's a little bit metal. Here we go.
0: Love it. I think you set that track up really nicely in the in the sense of uh you know the desire to do like the time changes and I would say like the chugging and kind of like there's definitely like head banging uh, elements to that song that I'm assuming if you're uh hopefully if there's some plum tree uh, uh listeners that are checking to say they 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 might be they may or may not be surprised by that because I think <laughs> you you guys would talk a lot about your your metal background I think in mm-hmm. in through your entire um, you know career but that is that is exactly the kind of song that i was hoping you would you would be able to pull out, pull out of the ball so, <laughs> no. thank you that was really great i love it so t- yeah t- tell we me spent what...
1: years doing stuff like that before a plum tree yeah
0: let's get a little bit of the detail in the recording like uh okay so the first thing i, I notice is is no vocals and i know that
1: mm-hmm. from
0: the early days of my experience it was always like a it, it was almost like a that was the trickiest part to, to get to that point of mm-hmm. who's singing, when are they singing, how are they singing, and then, and will it be recorded? So what's, what's the story on vocals as it relates to that mm-hmm.
1: song? Yeah, all our early bands, um, we were all just, we were, we were so focused on our, our instrument and nobody ever wanted to sing. Lynette, yeah. Neither Lynette or I thought of ourselves as singers at all. You know, we could like carry a melody, but especially when you're growing up on metal, like there's a certain kind of singer you think you have to be uh, to, to pull that off. And mm-hmm. yeah, so we yeah. just kind of avoided it. We just didn't. We were like, well, we'll just be instrumental. We did. When I was in ninth grade, we auditioned vocalists nice. <laughs> for a band we had called Black Lace we were going to be playing. It was our first show ever. It was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the talent show at our junior high. Lynette was in grade seven. I was in grade nine. Lisa and Angela were at, by then playing with us. And our big goal for that whole school year was, um, this talent show that was coming up in like April or May or something. And we thought, you know, we should actually, we should we, sh- we need a singer for this. So we made an announcement over our school PA or like the principal did for us uh, saying that we were holding vocalist auditions at the Gillis house. And can't really remember. I, all kinds of kids showed up actually. There were, mm-hmm. I remember at, at the announcement, there were all these people in my class who looked at me in surprise to find out that they, no one knew we were, we even had a band or we were getting any of that cooking
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and but then the day of the audition there were like five five or six people Mm -hmm. who showed up, except for one guy one guy and all girls uh your friend glenda's brother of course my friend glenda's brother that's right yeah mike mike roberts who looked like elvis Presley, and did uh what was the song he did i have no idea what's that elvis song Something shoes. Blue suede shoes. Blue suede shoes. I think he did blue suede shoes. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. It was such a <laughs> weird mix of people who showed up. Another girl, <laughs> Carrie, showed up and did Stand By Me. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then our friend Tammy showed up and did a Learen song. So she was kind of in the top spot for vocalist for the band. Right. And then at some point we so like the The rest of the band we, I remember sitting there in the basement watching each person sing, and they just sang along to like a tape in a tape deck, and we all had little tally sheets <laughs> making making our evaluations and then after everyone ended uh like went went home, we got together and like tried to figure out who the best singer would be for the band and then we just decided to not pick anybody. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember we told everyone we would let them know either way (laughs) and making all these sad calls afterwards being like, yeah, sorry, we decided not to have a vocalist. So that's how close we got. We got really close to actually having vocals in the band and then decided against it. That story
0: story makes me think of uh, the the infamous uh, tale of Genesis when Peter Gabriel left. And mm-hmm. that they were like, "Who's yeah. going to sing for us?" and mm-hmm. this I believe the series that uh, they would get people in just like your kind of your uh, your you know cattle call of all those singers coming in, and then Phil Collins would end up sing sing, sing kind of like this, sing kind of like this, mm-hmm. and then eventually they just kind of didn't like any of them, and and one of the other guys in the band just says, "Phil, you should do it
1: yeah and then yeah
0: he and that's kind of how he became the singer,
1: huh. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, that's sort of like we put it off as much as we could, and the talent show came, and we just played the songs instrumentally. We played two songs: "Hey Joe" <laughs> by Jimi Hendrix and an original song. Um, and then it wasn't until like a couple years later, when Plumtree started, that we we none of us like Amanda or Nina. They neither of them wanted to sing as well. Uh, but we just made a pact. We were like, we really need some singing in this band. And so let's just share it. We'll all sing. So that was the compromise was as long as, as long as everyone sings a little bit, it felt doable. Yeah. (laughs) And then of course, as time went by, uh, Amanda and I ended up kind of being the main singers. But yeah, okay. it was very reluctant. We were always been reluctant, which has changed over the years. But we can get to that later.
0: Okay, well, let's do one more question about the track, this incu Dust track. Um, of course, uh, you know today you can you can record a song and on your computer, and you can literally finish it and have it available for, for the world to enjoy within seconds. Uh, you know, and upload and do all these different things. Back then, you had to you had to. Have the recording means, but then you—it was a question of like, who—who who am I going to play this for first? And so, mm-hmm. my question is: when you would finish that track, is it the kind of thing that you would play for your parents, or friends, or family, no. or or what's the no, story on no, when nobody. other people first heard it, or did they? You're nobody. probably the first
1: person who's ever heard that song yeah. outside uh, of us. awesome. That's great. Yeah, yeah, like nobody. We have stockpiles of cassettes, uh full of ideas and songs, mini discs. Uh, like every format you can think of from the nineties till now, full of ideas that nobody's ever
2: heard. Yeah. We (laughs) we played for ourselves. It was, we entertained ourselves and it was very much like this bedroom in our house that we would practice and always had ideas of let's play shows someday, but we would just keep practicing and practicing and nobody ever heard it until we started Plumtree. Tree.
1: Yeah, we really didn't know how to get that, take that next step. We wanted people to hear stuff. The closest we ever got was we did that thing where we did, it. we made is as, as good of recording as we could of four songs, four original songs, and we had heard that if you mail them to yourselves, then yes,
0: I remember that. It's like okay, they're
1: copy and no one can steal them. That was as far as we got. We did that. We mailed our song. That was as far out into the world as our songs ever got was into a mailbox and back to ourselves. And then we had to like keep that envelope sealed to make sure the copyright. Yeah, that's the way way they told you to do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, we just everything stayed in our room.
0: Okay, well, let's let's go to the the section that I call music becoming real. So we're going to kind of jump forward a little bit just to you've got your the early version of Plumtree, as you said, you've got, you're you're talking about singing, uh, you've got your initial lineup of the band. What was the point that you could tell that something sort of clicked in your head to say that music is becoming a real thing? And you can define that however you want, but it's, this is something that this band and what we're doing is real.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't want to speak for Lynette, but I think we always felt like we definitely like wanted it to be real and had dreams of it being real. And then and then spent these years not knowing how to get out into the world. And then with Plumtree, I don't know, perfect like just the right right place, right time, but we started in April ninety-three and also right people. Amanda and Nina were involved in, already involved in the music scene. They had a radio show on CKDU. Lynette and I knew nothing about We had no idea there was a college radio station. We didn't know anything about indie bands or we had seen some local metal shows, but that was it. Nothing about like independent labels, this whole alternative movement, we kind of rejected because we were super into metal. It was such a, you know, you're either on one side or the other at that point. And, uh, and, but Amanda and Nina were like, they lived closer to downtown. They were going to shows. They knew local bands and very early into making music with them, they had heard of a a cassette tape, a compilation of high school bands that was called um, In Need of Submissions. And they knew that because they were at CKDU all the time and saw a poster for it. And they were like, "Let's, we should make a song and su- submit it for this tape." We're like, "What? What? <laughs> like, like, we, we had all, yeah. yeah, we were just, we were in a fantasy of making it real, but the, but actually making it real was pretty terrifying to us. And but they were all on board, and we we're like, "Yeah, sure, let's let's do it." So we wrote a song and had a friend, their friend's brother, come to our house and record it on four track. And then we sent it out into the world. And I had no hope of anything coming of it. But it was like within a couple of weeks, um, I think it was probably Way Mason. Yeah. It was uh, Way Mason, because the compilation tape was came out on no records.
0: Yep, yep. Which
1: is ha- old Halifax label run by Way Mason, now a city councillor. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, he called us and was like, yeah, we really like your song. You're you're on the tape. And it means you'll be on the tape and you'll be playing some shows for the release parties. And we were together. We had been together for maybe... Three months. S- two, two or three months. Yeah, it at was the very early. At that point. So-
2: yeah. Having a song be on a tape that was then on the college radio. Yeah. Playing a show, even just four songs, was like all very real stuff happening yeah. for us. We were like Yeah. It's what we had wanted. And it was funny because Carl and I at the time when this is this is like, yeah, nineteen ninety three, Plumtree was very clearly in my mind, and I, I don't know about you band number three. It was like, we had two other bands, like including right. the one that we just played for you. And we were like, we
1: had Pongo boy. Yeah. We had the crash mats, which was like a blues jazz band.
2: Yeah. It was a girl we went to gymnastics with,
1: which was pretty funny <laughs> nice.
2: The crash mats, but Plumtree was very much like, this is band number three, not mm-hmm. taking it very seriously. Not sure about we had such different interests musically between the four of us mm-hmm. that, We were, I was very doubtful and skeptical of it working.
1: Yes. We're like, this isn't really what we do.
2: Yeah, it's not really what we do. So we were, okay, let's give it a shot, but not really going, not really thinking it was going to go anywhere. And that was the band that got asked to do stuff. And then it just kind of kept happening that there was very lucky, uh, you know, people around Halifax who were, I think, doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Like, putting on shows and having bands in to do radio interviews and
1: starting labels, starting and labels. And there was so, it was yeah, such so, a perfect so time to, it was a great time. Yeah. show. Like play yeah. your first show it was at cafe olé We played in, yeah, we played four songs. Uh, you know, I think the guy, some guys from thrush hermit happened to be there. And then outside on the sidewalk after the show, they were like, Hey, we could get you a show with jail who were the other all female band at the time in Halifax, um, older than us. And they were like, yeah, we could probably get you a show with jail at the double deuce. We're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it just snowballed. Like it just, every show we played, we would get asked to play another show or asked to record something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it became real very quickly. quickly. And suddenly we were out there and and active and before we even had a chance to really think about it kind of like oh before we knew it Plumtree was band number one for us yeah and the other bands did not move
0: nothing to
1: the top slot the other bands never got out of the basement no
0: okay so that, that's definitely a whole bunch of, of re- great elements of of this thing becoming like wow this this is something um Tell me about the first time you had an actual interview that for a lot of people is uh, a marker. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, do you remember, do you remember it and who maybe where it was or who it was with? I do. Yeah. It was
1: with Walter, yeah, was CKDU. Uh, who, Walter Forsyth, who went on to be Plumtree's manager, uh, maybe in 94 or something. Um, he had a radio show on CKDU, which was the Dalhousie station. And it was called mellifluous melodies. <laughs> nice. and, Uh, It's funny. Someone recently found that interview and we have it somewhere. I don't remember where, but it was fascinating to listen to. And that was a that was a big moment for sure. Like the four of us sitting around a microphone in an actual radio station uh, uh, with Walter asking us lots of funny. It was a very funny, lighthearted interview. Uh, which matched the songs we were writing at the time, which were fairly <laughs> fairly whimsical, fairly mm-hmm, just kind yeah. of off the cuff, not overthought very much at all. But but even shortly before that, I remember someone on CKDU, it was actually our friend Mike Catano, who was the Thresh Hermit drummer at the time, he played our song from the compilation. Tape that um, it was called uh, No Class, the high school compilation tape. Hearing that on the radio for the first time was huge mm-hmm. for us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that was even more of, of a moment of this is this is real. Like we Lynette yeah. and I were just at home, we didn't know it was going to happen. We happened to be listening listening to CKDU. It was late at night. We were just bored, just like a typical night, and then our song came on the radio, and we kind of lost. Mm-hmm lost our mind i think we like ran up and down the street
0: i can remember the first time hearing an inbred song on um what was cfny at the time and uh it yeah it just absolutely blew me away and, and before that college radio in, in in kingston um cfrc we we did all kinds of stuff with there and uh mm-hmm. yeah it was so great to, to hear it on the radio yeah
1: so exciting yeah can't top
0: that feeling
2: just sure. yeah, the outside world having any interest or asking any questions, or yeah, it was just a whole new thing. Like, I also think of Colin McKenzie calling our house on Rosedale Avenue. That was a real moment mm-hmm. early on. Where Colin McKenzie, who ended up managing, uh, he worked with Sloan. He ran Murder Records. Uh, he was a very active, amazing guy in the music scene here. Be
1: involved in the pop explosion. Yeah,
2: pop mm-hmm. explosion. Cinnamon Toast Records he called and left a message on our answering machine. We We were were on vacation and we we were in Cape Cape (laughs) Cape Yeah, We would be, we got home and it was Colin saying, hi, I'm, I'm wondering if you, you might be, if Plumtree might be interested in putting a song on a recording, the seven inch. And I remember hearing it and I said to Carla, what's a seven inch.
1: Yeah. We had no no idea what a seven inch was. And I remember Lynette I was always scared of talking on the phone, so she would always make the phone calls. Uh, Like if we wanted to play Cafe O'Le, she would call Condon and ask. And anyway, she called Colin back, and I just remember her saying, "Like, so what's a seven inch?" (laughs) And it ended up being the seven inch we made with strawberry um, in ninety
0: four. Another another one element of you know making music real uh, is you know you have you you mentioned you know you mentioned Colin and Walter and bands have you know they have managers they have agents they have record labels they have all these things that influence and and sort of you know um you know move their uh work and career forward but did you ever have what you would call a mentor so something sort of separate from that and mm-hmm. you know my example in in our world was of course you know we had we did have a, we did end up with an agent and a manager and a label But very early on, um, it was the fact that we had connected by getting a cassette. That was one of my my things, was always this, uh, these techniques of trying to get cassettes into the hands of everyone from, uh, you know, later on, Dave Grohl, early days, to uh, different bands, similar to how your cassette (laughs) got to me. But I had these techniques of trying to get that to them. Like, for example, uh, Dave Bookman was always a great uh, Toronto DJ, great sort of middle point. But as it relates to, a mentor for us. It was the idea that we got a cassette to the Rio Stacks when they played in, wow. in Kingston, we, and it eventually got to Dave Clark. And although Dave was none of those, mm-hmm. Dave was our—he was a, you know our producer on a couple of records. But r- really, I think for the inbreds, he probably was our mentor, even if we didn't realize it at the mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. and what that meant was he would guide us on big things and little things. And and I I think of them all the time, and I'm definitely going to have Dave on this uh, Mm. podcast so that he can drop some of his knowledge. But I always the one that uh, remember for us was we would be playing shows, and and he would say little things like, you know, uh, you got to get you guys got to get earplugs, you know. Mm. And he was the guy that told us to get
1: you know Mm. musician earplugs
0: because he says you're going to be out there. And he also would related. He would say whenever you play with a band, don't just like if you're headlining or in the middle, don't just go and eat food you you watch all the bands. And, huh. and if you're going to watch all the bands, you got to have earplugs. And so like it was little, little tips like that. that yeah. he was oh. constantly dropping oh. that kind of knowledge on us. And these are things that were very valuable through the years. Uh, and mm-hmm. in some ways, I don't know that we wouldn't know that term mentor at the time, but I think he really yeah. was, is to this day. So uh, yeah. what do you, do you think? Do you think you guys had a mentor? We love
1: this. <laughs> well, we love Dave Clark. We love Dave Clark. And Lynette, Took some lessons with him when we were living in Toronto. Only in
2: the last number of years, actually, I I got to know Dave Clark. Um, And uh, I can completely see why. I think he was even, he even felt like a mentor to me even like five years ago. Uh, He just has a way about him. Um, Yeah, like such full of wisdom and also so much humility at the same time. But growing up, I would say, there's not really like no one, one comes specific to person. It's it's, yeah. I think there's bits from a collection of mm-hmm. people in a way. Yeah. Like Colin McKenzie was coming to mind. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. Walter was Colin,
1: Colin was great. Like just about life stuff in general. I remember when I decided to move away from Halifax, I saw him on the street just before I left. And he was like, you know, you're moving to a new city. The first year will be kind of hard, but just you got to give it at least a year. I was like I just appreciated hearing, you know, some wisdom from someone. But in terms of in terms of music, you know, Thresharmet were great about bringing us on tour really early on and I think we just learned a lot from them. Um just absorbed a lot from see from seeing them do things and um I th- I mm-hmm. think Through them and through Walter and Colin, we learned how to, like, how to book our own tour. Yeah, Um, yeah,
2: exactly. You know,
1: some practical DIY band stuff.
2: Walter was big on, like, teaching us how to write grants. Chris Murphy was, had a pretty, he was very encouraging when we started. And I still remember, we didn't have a lot of experiences with him, but one that was very memorable was... uh, Early on, he had us over to his place, and he wanted to record us. And he, I remember going into his room, and he's like, okay, do you know the Smiths? And we're like, no. He's like, okay, take this record home, or a tape, or whatever. Uh, How about Joni Mitchell's Blue? We're like, no. He's like, okay, take this home with you. And he gave yeah. us this little pile of albums that still to this day, I'm like, thank you so much for doing that. He was introducing us to music that was not what anybody around us was listening to. And it was kind of an older generation that are just like great albums.
1: Yeah. And he was showing us like record covers that um, he had made. I think we had a lot of mentors when it just came to the DIY aspects of being a band and it all was cobbled together from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. But I would say that that was the same with gear. We were metalheads when we started the bands, I used in like a very pointy, shiny blue Ibanez guitar and Lynette had Sabian cymbals and a pearl, a pearl kit. And a lot of people, Matt Murphy from super friends uh, really influenced my gear choices over the time. And it, it wasn't like him coming down and saying like, this is what you should be using or anything like that. I would just, I liked his sound and I would just wanted to get my own blues, you know, bluesman amp. Uh, yeah, so lots of sort of gear and practical tips from people, but no no specific mm-hmm. mentor comes to mind. I would say
0: it all <laughs> adds up, though, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It to, to bring it adds up. I have.
1: I just I just thought of one one funny tip that Colin also gave us. We played a show in New Brunswick, and we we opened with "I Love Rock and Roll" by Joan mm-hmm. Jett. Yeah. And and it was like a hit. People were like surprised and they paid attention for the rest of the set. But we got off the stage. (laughs) Colin was like, yeah, bands don't really start their set with cover songs. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Okay. Yeah, we didn't realize.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is, we're still in the sort of music becoming real. Try and take an honest assessment, go back and think at that time, as it's becoming real, you're starting to get some success. People are, you're getting the shows and you're getting played on radio. Where do you, where did you think you'd end up with music?
1: Mm. What time would this have been? Like when, when things, things were becoming real? Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: and maybe you're doing like your very first album for, for, for saying, right. getting that initial success. But, you know, at the, when you were going home at the end of the day, you're saying to yourself, what, what yeah. do you actually, where do you think you're hoping it's going to go at that time?
1: Yeah. Like we were it's- always hoping Lynette and I were always hoping it would be this thing that we we could make our life, that we could be active musicians, but it's uh, like for a living. But it's really weird because it's almost kind of uncomfortable to talk about the fact that so much of my time in Plumtree, if it felt like... Um, Uh, a step to something else. Like it felt (laughs) like I loved the band and I appreciated what we were doing, but it also in so many ways didn't feel like what I had expected. It it wasn't what I imagined. The, The reality of it, musically and practically, I think, was so different than the original fantasies, which were very much based on like Home sweet home. The home sweet home video by by Motley Crue. Yeah, where exactly? You're you're in the back. You're backstage, and you're running onto this huge, huge stadium. Into the stadium, filled with people, and that was kind of. Again, it was like we had no idea how to get there, but that had been the dream, and then, as things became more real, I think that dream got quite a bit smaller mm-hmm. and we've sort of wrestled with that mm-hmm. ever since i think it's been a continued yeah. question for us of like how how can how how can we make this be a big part of our lives
2: it's like reality versus fantasy you know like yes, yes. yeah you know
1: and like at at we've never time, stopped wanting the yeah the, the, the epic aspect of it,
2: and then never really experiencing that in real life. And it's it's hard to explain because when Plumtree was really active, a lot was happening, and mm-hmm. I found it so exciting. Like I basically, it's like every week you come home from school and be like, "Oh my god, this person just called. Yeah, we're gonna do this thing. Oh my god, Hermit want to take us on tour." in the summer. Mm-hmm. Like we were just losing our minds with excitement. Hey, it was so exciting.
1: Okay. Inviting um, us yeah. on a tour. And, and,
2: yeah. So mm-hmm. stuff was happening, but then the reality of it, I think once you're in it, it was at least for us was okay. They're, you know, the relatively small shows, there's a lot of hard work behind it. It's not very glamorous. You might be crashing on somebody's floor to play that show that night or yeah, all of that came with it and a bit of a slog, like it was hard work. So it was almost like, exciting but also a little disillusioning at the same time
1: yeah i think sometimes we'd come home from tour and we felt we felt like a better stronger band from playing so much and kind of like a well-oiled machine but then the kind of the the practic the practical part of life still like you were still coming home to you know your minimum wage job uh, or Trying to finish up your classes in university, it never. It, there was a sort of constant, maybe a constant disappointment. <laughs> at the same time, it was weird. It was like lots of exciting things, but also this doesn't match. And you know, I think that's part of just growing up, as you realize life do- <laughs> life doesn't feel like what you uh, imagined it might. Um,
0: okay that that's a good segue to go to the uh, the last section let's go uh, so we call this flash forward sure. so we're just gonna we're gonna go from the 90s we're gonna go to today let's just do a few so a few updates on on from everything you did with music then um wh- what are some updates in your life today what 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 do you what do you guys do <laughs> what is your life today
2: mm-hmm. well right off the top a pretty funny one is we're both psychotherapists yes. and that's our professions we have the we went. We both went to school in Toronto and studied psychotherapy and are practicing, uh, yeah, therapists now in Halifax.
1: Yeah, so that's, uh, I spent a while in like media and stuff and Lynette did some education, like teaching. And yeah, we've landed here uh, where we're psychotherapists who also get together and play music mm-hmm. uh, at the moment since, so in 2020... Lynette and I left Toronto after living there for a long time, 12,
0: 12 years, years, twelve yeah. or
1: thirteen years, and came back during the pandemic. Our father had passed away, so we wanted to be closer to our mom. And we, uh, yeah, we've continued private practices here, uh, and it's such a—it's been a weird time to move back in a pandemic. Uh, so we haven't, we haven't, our mom is 81. We try to be pretty careful about, you know, COVID exposure and yeah. So we haven't like, we haven't been going to tons of shows. We haven't been playing with new musicians. We haven't started a full band here. It's just been the two of us kind of working away, uh, a little bit, a little bit like, Back in the Fairview days, Mm -hmm. when we were in the basement compiling hundreds of ideas (laughs) on little tapes that nobody has heard, yeah, we have so many ideas. We are in that place of like, how do we get them out there Mm -hmm. again? It's a lot easier and find. How do we find? How do we find
2: community again? How do we find community? Kind of reintegrate ourselves into the scene here or things happening even outside of here
1: mm-hmm.
2: has felt kind of challenging.
1: Yeah. It's been hard to do in a pandemic, but we did recently launch um, a band camp archive of all the music we've ever made. And it's going to be where we put new stuff too. And we, we put up a new song uh, I guess maybe a month or so ago now that we're pretty excited about
0: we will definitely include that in the show notes and uh again say say thank you for the uh the Days theme as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: It, you know it's great to just you, you, intentionally uh for the purpose of this conversation i sort of like skipped skipped an entire chunk of your musical career but as you look back like what are what what's something that stands out as a, a, a as a highlight um or something maybe that you're most proud of?
2: I mean what came to my mind? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there'd be a number of things we could say here, but one thing that came to my mind was the people, like just the connections, the, the people that we've met, like across Canada and that are still rich connections, people in our lives, many of them. Like it's, it's like completely expanded, I think our worlds in terms of, We lived in this tiny little suburb of Halifax, and it often feels like Canada is much smaller than it is because of these connections. The people come to my mind uh, right away that we've met so many great,
1: so Mm -hmm. many great
2: bands and musicians
1: and talent. Yeah, I mean you're a great example of that. Like people who, so we were. It was a long time ago now when Plumtree was that active, and we were meeting so many people who are still in our lives now and. You know, they may not live in the same city and we don't hang out every weekend or anything. But uh, it's been beautiful to see these people from back then continue to weave through our lives up until 2023.
0: The day I was was doing my lemonade stand at Vicky's (laughs) Veggie's in Prince Edward County and I turn around and you're both standing there. I could not
1: believe it. That was amazing.
0: Uh, you know, Lynette had had purchased the property down the road and all, there was all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that was that was such a small world thing. And it's, yeah, w- I mean, we've crossed paths through all these different things over the years. Uh, it's, yes. you know, it's been great. Yeah.
1: The Inverse Reunions was, was Yes, the Reunions. Yes. yes. Oh, and yeah. You selling,
0: you selling oh. lemonade. I was like, yes, of
2: course. Of course <laughs> you are. Like you being like an entrepreneur. I love, I find that very exciting to turn around and see, like, well, literally in that moment somebody that we've met so long ago and you're like, Oh yeah, you're still doing what you do in just new ways all the time.
1: Yeah. That's,
2: that's really, really yeah, The inspiring. ideas come
0: out and they come out of nowhere sometimes, you know?
1: I, I just wanted to add to that, like memorable, memorable moments. You know, I do want to sort of touch on Scott Pilgrim briefly as um, this beautiful kind of opportunity that came out of nowhere in 2010, when mm-hmm. the movie was well, the comic the comic book was made into a movie, uh, which was in the comic book was was drawn from um, the Plum Tree Song Scott Pilgrim, and it's been absolutely mind blowing to see all these new people discover the band and our current bands. Kids, they tend to be. <laughs> Young boys from England, a lot of them, but uh, but like kids from all over the world discovering plum tree, but also that whole scene and uh, and writing to us, you know, finding us on Instagram or whatever. And we never imagined that we would have so many younger generations of fans at this point.
0: There's boys all around the world wearing plum tree shirts, not just that guy (laughs) on much music.
1: It's true. (laughs) It's true. You inspired them. You kicked off the trend. Yes. And
2: that is mind blowing when you're like, that's a couple decades ago. Yes. How is that happening now?
1: Yeah. And like 15 year olds now who the music resonates with them is really, uh, that makes me feel really good.
0: That's great. One last question is just, are there any lessons from music, you know, over the years that you brought into your life today and, and that something that really resonates? It's like a golden rule that came out of music.
1: Mm-hmm. something around um and it and i can't always apply this but i i think about it a lot and i and i have throughout my life something about just do it mm-hmm. that's, yeah you know uh i know that's a nike slogan but when we were out there i think it's what lynette and i are really trying to hold on to these days as we feel a little bit more back in the basement with these ideas you know, swirling, and and it's music that we like, but you, you can feel like there's this giant boulder in front of you sometimes in terms of how to take next steps. And this used to come up all the time with Plumtree. For whatever reason, that band, there was no boulder. We just got out there and took one step that led to the next, led to the next, led to the next, And we would go on these tours and kids would come up to us after the shows and say, like, this is this is what we want to do. How do you do this? Be like anybody can. You just like reach out and reach out to the local club and ask if you can play a show or here's how you book a tour. All those things. You just sort of I think we just have to you just have to get past the fear and stick your neck out. And let yourself be really vulnerable uh, and be seen. It's really hard to be seen. Yeah. I think.
2: It's hard to be seen. I think especially maybe depending on our, I think both of our personalities are a little bit, we're not looking to be like in the spotlight. And uh, I think letting yourself make things and actually put them out there or introduce yourself or go up to that person or send that file even when you're not sure it's 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 not about perfection. Like it's it's kind of like we were saying with the early days of of playing and playing in the basement, we would have probably kept playing in that basement for maybe forever. And it took realizing, oh, really, you can go on stage and just play those four songs that you've they're good enough kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. good enough good is enough a really good Motto good
2: motto that Absolutely. actually comes up in our psychotherapy work as well it's a, so it's much
1: yeah good enough
2: is um i think really important and actually we can still apply it now and i would pass it along to anybody else it's like we still need to keep reminding ourselves of that like yeah. that something can be good enough to still put it even on like our bandcamp page or mm-hmm. you know ha- share that song for somebody else to hear
1: yeah, and sometimes the sort of big dreams and fantasies can sort of, I think, get in the way of the, not the doing, but the, it, there can, they can lend this disappointment that's not necessary because the process itself is so important in all of this. Just, it doesn't matter ultimately if we're not on the, you know, Motley Cruz sized stages running, running from like, oh yeah. Imagine (laughs) that. It seemed like that was the dream and that would have been the ideal life, but like work with, work with where you are and what you have and find satisfaction in that. And I think it requires like letting go of the fantasy
0: That was a snippet of the song, Your Heart by Overnight, the latest release from Carla and Lynette. You can find the full collection of all their recorded material at gillismusicarchive.bandcamp.com. That's in the show notes, of course. And earlier in the show, you got a chance to hear the song, Incudust, by their band Pongo Boy, which was the seminal recording for our very first Salad Days here. So finally, I want to say a big thanks to Carla and Lynette for taking the time to join me today for the very first episode and again, want to encourage everyone to check out their Bandcamp page, all of their recorded material streaming everywhere. And uh, basically, I really look forward to seeing what they're going to do next. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and tell all your best music-loving friends about it. Today's episode was brought to you by Zunger.com and me, Lemonade Dave. I've done a lot of things in music over the years, but these days I mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in Prince Edward County. I'm going to crack a cold one right now. But if you're ever in P.E.C., be sure to ask for it by name and tell them Dave sent you. The trouble of drinking drinks and shots and doubles. He said, "Hark, all, make it sparkle." And he added stuff to make it bubble. Lemonade, like the sparkling lemonade. If it's hot, i It's not all Get a bottle, that is.